Hello, campers. Producer Sarah here. Just a quick word before you listen to this week's episode. We are joined by the delightful Joe Lipset today to talk about Labyrinth. However, through only my own fault, I thought we were recording later than we actually were. So I missed a big chunk of the start of this episode. I was literally still in another country. I do join in later then, uh, but that explains why you'll hear me not in most of the episode. Thank you again, Joe, for joining us and happy birthday, Sam. Good morning, campers. Today's activities will include, oh, just giving up my youngest to the Goblin King. And then Sarah says something hilarious about lunch right here. And to end the night, we will be telling our weird older guy who's into us that, you know what, they just have no power over me. So here's where she says, put on your sunscreen, bug spray, and camp uniform as we dive into Labyrinth. Labyrinth. Marishka Hargate, Sarah, and Marishka Hargate, our guest, Joe Lipset. I am your camp counselor, Sam, an ex-pro wrestler in training and current drag wrestler manager. And then Sarah says something very funny right here as well, but she can edit that in later. We are here to ask, is it camp? We are diving into popular culture of all kinds to loosely identify what makes something camp. We are not here to be the definitive experts on it, but just talk about this often overlooked and frankly queer subgenre. So, the film Labyrinth. But before we get to that, let's get to our guest host, Joe Lipset. Hello, how's it going? I'm pretty good. It's been a very busy week, and I have a very busy weekend coming up. So, <laughs> I am running around all over the place. How about yourself? Uh, yeah, no, I would say it's about the same. But uh, I'm delighted to be here spending the evening talking about this uh, I'm not going to say it's camp. We'll talk about it at the end, but definitely fun, nostalgic, pants too tight film. <laughs> pants too tight in very specific mm-hmm. places. Joe Lipset is kind of an important person in my development as a uh, film person because you taught the slasher course that I attended in university and frankly i think you actually left one of the greater impressions on me than most of the other teachers while i was in university oh thank you i like to think that sessional faculty members have like the most important job because we get the weird subjects so we get to be the cool folks and say hey you're not going to get this program by the faculty member who only likes pre-code movies or something like that so yeah i mean i've I basically got to teach science fiction and slashers and other fun subjects. Yeah, it's funny, right? We look back on it now and think, I was kind of garbage. And yet you start to realize, oh, that's when you're that's when you're watching movies that are really important to you. And you look back on them really fondly. Like, I'm so glad I got to watch the movies I did when I was a film student. And yet at the time, I did not appreciate them at all. Oh, absolutely not. There's so many things that, going back to it, I'm very much, oh, I'm reappraising these things, and 
I get this now. I understand why we watched this. Like, maybe I'll like Battleship Potemkin for the fifth time after 15 <laughs> years out of university. Who knows? Mm, that, that may be one probably you never not. come around Pro- on. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I understand its value, but I don't necessarily like exactly. the thing. Yes. Yes. Joe Lipset also hosts how many podcasts now three four Uh, i don't want to talk about no it's uh about four or five but some of them are (laughs) limited series podcasts so my main babies are horror queers which is a queer horror podcast on the bloody disgusting network and then i also have a project that i do with a university friend of mine brenna and we do ya adaptations so that one's hazel and katniss and harry and star and then, yeah, the other ones are limited series, so, you know, they can kind of come and go as they please, depending on how my co-hosts are feeling and so on. Well, I do enjoy White Ladies in Crisis, <laughs> uh, even, though, <laughs> even though I haven't seen the show, I'm still like, ooh, this is salacious. <laughs> oh, I, I'm going to sit down and watch this, and then I go home and get high and go like, I don't want anything that's a bummer. <laughs> so... Yeah, White Ladies in Crisis has been a lot of fun because we, you know, we've covered a couple of shows that have women who our tagline is that it's white women who are losing their minds. But then we also did a period where we were covering erotic thrillers. So the show is malleable in a fun way. It allows us to go in whatever direction we kind of want to go in. I really enjoyed when you were doing the erotic thrillers. It was it was just a lot of fun. And every week I'd be like, oh, I have seen this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, let's talk about it. <laughs> so it's it's I, I have enjoyed all of your things. And then occasionally when you guest star on other things, I'll pick up that podcast, too, and go, oh, yeah, I enjoy listening to these people as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're 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 kind of one of my benchmarks of good podcast right (laughs) well i mean that's a joy of doing a guest podcast right is like you maybe get to bring some of the people who listen to you over to somebody else's show and then all of a sudden people have found a brand new podcast that they enjoy listening to Mm -hmm. so audience campers uh go out listen to joe's podcast because i have been enjoying them for several years and it was kind of the impetus for me starting this podcast with sarah wow (laughs) I mean, here's the thing. Podcasting is surprisingly affordable. Like, you can do it on the cheap. You can do it a little bit more expensive. But at the end of the day, it's not the most expensive of hobbies. So if you can do it well, find someone that you have good rapport with, it can actually be a lot of fun. And I don't know about you, but I really enjoy kind of flexing my critical film studies muscle because when you have to talk about something for an hour to 90 minutes and you've got to back up your ideas and you've got to come up with jokes and stuff like you really start to pay attention to a film in a way that i haven't done since i was an undergraduate frankly absolutely and i'm so thankful to have sarah normally right now like i said uh she's running a bit late she'll jump on when she gets on But you and I are just going to have a fun time regardless. Mm -hmm. So, that brings us to the film. Joe, what is your personal history with the film Labyrinth? (laughs) Yeah, so I've often talked about the close relationship that I had with my sister growing up. So, much like this movie, she was often tasked with babysitting me, looking after me when my mom went to work at nights or when my dad was away during the week. And we ended up watching a lot of movies and my sister and I had a kind of steady rotation of 
I want to say female leaning fantasy films. So we would watch this. We would watch Legend, the Ridley Scott, Tom Cruise, Mia Sarah film. And we had a couple of other staples, you know, like we we would watch Star Wars movies, Princess, Princess Bride. Bride, yes. And it it definitely feels like these are movies that were of a certain time period where I mean, ironically enough, many of them were commercially unsuccessful, but I find that the rewatchability of them, the comfort of watching them, the nostalgic value has only grown bigger over the decades since like the 80s and early 90s. Yeah, and most of those films have in their own way become both cult classics Mm -hmm. and kind of staples of uh, continuing film discourse and quite frankly merchandising yeah. as well right you can you can walk into a hot topic and you can pick up a <laughs> labyrinth pair of earrings or something i i own a labyrinth pair of earrings really anyway, but that's yeah my my friends got me um for my birthday a couple years ago the door knockers as oh, earrings. amazing okay this is my favorite movie wow hands okay. down uh, and I can I can easily say it is always at the top of my list, number one with a bullet. Mm-hmm. And that is why we are doing this today for this episode, because this episode will be coming out on oh, my birthday. Oh, happy so, advanced birthday slash happy birthday on the day this comes out. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. And so we decided with the podcast, much like I think everyone else's podcast, when it comes to birthday mm-hmm. week my personal history with this Mm -hmm. i have a very distinct memory with this so growing up the closest video store was a place called dj's video (laughs) hub yeah every couple of weekends (laughs) the story's already great yeah yeah. every couple of weekends my my mom would let us go down to dj's to rent a film Mm -hmm. for the weekend Mm -hmm. sometimes if my brother twisted my arm like a video game or something and you know, try to find something that will make all three of us happy. Well, finally, this was a weekend where I got to pick the movie mm-hmm. and I was all by myself. I didn't have to share it with anyone. So I picked out Labyrinth because I had a memory of having seen it much earlier, maybe when I was like three or okay. four, but nothing concrete. Mm-hmm. I remember as a kid, when you find a movie that you like on VHS, mm-hmm. you'd play it several times throughout the week, especially because you wouldn't own that many VHSs. So I went through like a stint of watching Balto every day for <laughs> like a month. I don't know why Balto, but Balto. Sure. And, but I would always get to the end of the movie and then go, cool, movie's done, time mm-hmm. for bed. I put in Labyrinth, I sit down, I watch it, and it was the first time I ever got back up, pressed rewind, rewound Watched the whole tape, it again. Yep. played it again immediately. Mm-hmm immediately it resonated with me at some kind of i don't know storytelling level that from that point on i was hooked i found a way to get a vhs copy after i had taped it from television on ytv Mm -hmm. i remember the commercials that they had (laughs) when we finally got a DVD player. We got a, we got a copy of the DVD. When I moved out to university, I bought another copy of the DVD for myself in university. And then a special edition came out, so I bought that copy. And then so on and so forth. And 
this week I had to buy another copy because I went a couple years ago and went, oh, yeah, it's on Netflix. Oh. It'll be fine. I, I won't have to find uh, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The physical yeah. media streaming wars, right? Mm-hmm. And now I'm learning if I truly love something, buy a physical Always. copy. yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. So now I own, I don't know how many copies of this fucking movie. <laughs> I've seen it so many times. Uh, I have written papers on it. I have presented papers in mm-hmm. university on it, uh, including there. We had a colloquium and the last year university, and I got to stand up in front of a group full of people and say, "So this movie is super talking about why David Bowie should have sex with this sixteen-year-old uh-huh. girl, and this is why." <laughs> <laughs> to a room full of shocked people all going you can just read sex into it and i'm like yeah well, you can do that with any movie oh, of course but especially this movie like it's that's not even like a subtext thing that's like a full-on text thing in the last <laughs> act of this movie <laughs> oh for sure but the these people like i just remember this room full of people being absolutely shocked that i stood up there for 20 minutes half an hour and said here's all the reasons why this 16 year old should have sex with david bowie (laughs) not you know implying the negative things about it but more so talking about the thematic elements of the film right i i don't condone (laughs) that kind of stuff campers please don't call the cops The reality is, is like this movie, I mean, I know that we're not always supposed to excuse older media, like part of what we do is look at things through a 2022 lens. And obviously, we need to put older texts into context. And yet there is something to be said about, okay, well, things were different in the 80s. So when you're looking at a movie like Labyrinth, you, you have to look at it from both sides. I I think one of the more important things to keep in mind with this film is that while it's a fantasy film, it's a teenage girl's fantasy film. Mm -hmm. As in, this is her fantasy. Her fantasy is to be wooed by a mysterious older man. Because that's her goal. At the end of the movie, thankfully, the movie also says, no, she doesn't need Mm -hmm. that. She she can just be her own person yeah she needs to go back to her childhood bedroom with all of the stuffed toys on the bed and just be a teenage girl she's not ready for that world yet exactly right and that's part of why the ending of this movie is so it's so good it's such a great character arc Mm -hmm. of a story yeah anyway uh anything else you'd like to say about labyrinth before we get into the synopsis of it Mm, i will just say this movie still holds up and i think partially like you i've seen this a million times i feel like i could recite whole lines of dialogue the music is still a banger like bowie just absolutely kills this role but there's something to be said for a movie not just coasting on an nostalgic appeal like it actually holds up it's still enjoyable to watch and it looks good like this movie looks really good notoriously this film was a (sighs) flop when it came out in 1986 uh directed by jim henson surprise Mm -hmm. surprise uh (laughs) with all the muppets (laughs) it was produced by george lucas with a screenplay written by terry jones of monty python Mm -hmm. And you'd think that this combination of people, like, all together... I think Steven Spielberg was also involved in producing it. 
you'd think this combination of people could pull off I mean they did it's it's an amazing film but this should be box office gold mm-hmm. and yet somehow it never hit that mark no, no it, uh, unfortunately and uh, so Bowie is the star along with Jennifer Connelly a very young Jennifer Connelly post phenomenon I believe uh Yes, it's it's either right before or right afterwards because she's she looks exactly the same. Oh yeah, just different outfit and fewer Argento <laughs> shit. Fewer monkeys, yes. <laughs> oh god, I love the ending of Phenomenon so much. <laughs> but did you know that David Bowie was not the first person considered for the role of Jareth the Goblin? Uh, I only know that because I was looking up information on the movie today i would have thought that they would have developed this around him so it was surprising to learn that initially they didn't even want a human being in the role Mm-hmm. and then they got talked into a human being at which point they were thinking about the 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 two major other options would have been sting mm-hmm. okay similar ballpark yeah, i could see it very different vibe Agreed. or Michael Jackson. Yeah. Oh boy. Mm. Want to talk about a movie that wouldn't have the same kind of staying power <laughs> and honestly would have like we'd be doing completely different reads of this movie if it was Michael Jackson. Oh my the the taint that that man would mm-hmm. leave on this film. Yeah. I can't even imagine what that would have been like. But thankfully, we have this film instead. Mm-hmm. It is interesting because Michael Jackson did um, sort of VR, like 3D kind of movies, I want to say with Disney World back in the day. Um, and so that that was Captain EO yes. with Epcot okay. Center. Because yeah. it it has a similar kind of fantasy hero's journey, like we need to go and beat the baddies in this alternative kind of world vibe. And like i just to be clear i think he would be fine in this movie it's just that we would not be able to dissociate the relationship that he has to underage children and therefore i think the whole film would just be off as a result yeah it would be retroactively Mm -hmm. off like how over time we all learned that jeepers creepers is not a movie we want to keep watching (sighs) yes which is still such a fucking shame because i really like that movie but obviously it's persona non grata now yeah i i accidentally watched the first half of his first film that Mm -hmm. he made and i got halfway through it and i was just like this feels Mm -hmm. weird why why do i get like a really unsettling feeling from it it's a movie it's got sam rockwell and evil clowns so i looked it up and in the trivia it was like oh yeah this is the movie where he unfortunately molested the children yeah and I was like, that's why we're, I have so many uncomfortable shots in mm-hmm. this film of shirtless boys. Yeah. And that, that one, I mean, not to like yeah. go down the Victor Salva path, but the reason <coughs> that his films are different from even somebody, because we, like Trace and I, my co-host on Horror Queers, we get a lot of pushback from people who say, well, you could do queer readings of Jeepers Creepers. It's there. Like that movie exists. You can't deny that it's out there in the ether, but the difference between him and other directors who have 
been shit on their sets or have done problematic things is that Victor Slava literally molested children while making his movies. Like his art is intrinsically aligned with pedophilia. That's why we don't talk about it. Yeah, and it's also your podcast. You can well, talk about whatever you want, and you choose not to talk about those. Tell me how to run my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, it's it's just a, a wild thing that mm-hmm. Sting. Can you imagine this movie with Sting? I don't think well, I can. Here's the thing. Have you seen Dune? Yes, I have part of seen me is like, many would times. that be what we get? Like Sting in a kind of semi-ridiculous costume. It wouldn't be the same as what Bowie's got because he would probably ask for something different. But like, would he be giving off those same kinds of weird vibes? Like, if so, I could almost see it. But I think the difference is Bowie can wear oh my whatever God. the yes. fuck he wants. And he looks amazing mm-hmm. in it. Sting, not so much, <laughs> was in that pop punk '80s yeah. band vibe, right? Like it, it, he never had like a phase where he's like, "Ah, yes," and I shall dress mm-hmm. as a mouse, and this entire album <laughs> is going to be mouse themed. No, Bowie said, "I'm going to be a clown for a whole album, and then I'm going to be the Thin White Duke, and I'm Ziggy yeah. Stardust, and and all these personas." So slotting him into Jareth. Mm-hmm is easy yeah he really does embody different types of personas and i mean let's just be be honest let's lay the cards on the table this is a heavily androgynous performance and that gives the film an extra perverse sexuality but not necessarily an uncomfortable one like it's very welcome in an otherwise pretty chaste film yeah and that's why i think it works Mm -hmm. like you i think the film's great for children you can show it to children they're not going to get the underlying tones but as you age Mm -hmm. you can go like oh right oh this is sexy now yeah exactly oh i get it (laughs) i get why mom always wanted to watch it with me and sometimes dad too Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm I mean, Ludo is a giant bear, basically. So it's true. Yeah, we've got pups, we've got bears, we've got all kinds of queer figures in here. <laughs> it's great. So let's get into the synopsis of this. Here's the the fun fact about me writing the synopsis. Mm-hmm. I did the entire thing from memory, then watched the film and only reorganized hey, one sentence. There you go. Yeah, that's how much I've seen this fucking movie. Okay. So, the film begins with a CGI owl, Mm -hmm. which, for 1986, is really advanced. It looks okay, too. Yeah, this was actually the first fully CGI'd, um, well, character i want to say character in quotation mm-hmm. marks to appear in a film wow okay right? like even just just for this extended sequence and then quickly uh this is all being played over bowie's underground mm-hmm. which is one of the many songs he sang and wrote and performed for this film and all of these songs are great yep. i mm-hmm. love them 
no notes, Bowie. No notes. No. The only weird thing was that he didn't really do a ton of promotion for this movie, apart from making a music video for one of the numbers. That always kind of surprised me because he's doing everything in here. Like, he's got so many songs. Don't you want more people to be aware of this project? Yes, absolutely. Like, why wouldn't you want bowie on the Mm -hmm. red carpet and bowie on mtv saying oh here's my uh, new video from my big film coming out soon labyrinth and then they play it but for whatever reason we decided to do all Mm -hmm. this instead but anyway underground is dope you will get to hear it several times throughout (laughs) the film and as as we see the cgi owl move in and out of a labyrinth of sorts that we can't quite see it's 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 a lot of fun stuff happening uh it moves through the screen and becomes a live action owl instead that flies into a park where sarah is playing with her dog merlin a big shaggy sheep dog and a good yeah and i love the fact that by naming him merlin our introduction to her is that she's dressed up in sort of princess period garb we immediately know who sarah is as a character right like she's living in a fantasy already so it's like cool we're halfway there with this character don't need a ton of development it's such a fantastic short form introduction to who she is and what Mm -hmm. she loves she loves fantasy she wants to live in this fantasy world in fact what she's playing in the park she's essentially line reading from a book that she carries around with her the labyrinth and she's trying to memorize it because what nerd girl (laughs) in the 80s who loves fantasy sorry what nerd girl now nerd person still we still do this we absolutely still do of course we do you literally said I think we both have said at some point in what the 25 minutes we've been recording that we could do whole passages from this film. What are we, if not Sarah, (laughs) only with Labyrinth? Exactly. You get it. Perfect. Love it. So she's playing with Merlin. She's reciting from this book and she gets to a passage that she cannot remember the final line for it. And it seems very important to her. She opens up the book and she remembers that the line is the whole thing is I've fought my way here to the castle beyond the goblin city to take back the child that you have stolen from me for my will is as strong as yours and my kingdom is as great and that's where she fumbles on the line she opens up the book reads it and goes you have no power over me let me tell you I screamed that at my sister a bunch when I was a kid (laughs) 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 <laughs> why don't you go to bed why don't you do it's, the dishes it's, why don't you like clean the bathroom you have no power over me it's brilliant it's such good writing uh, that this is the thing this is the thing she has to learn by the mm-hmm. end of the film and we've set it up within the first 30 seconds of this character being yep. on screen great i love it well she suddenly realizes what time it is and dashes home to a reprise of underground as it begins to rain and she's greeted 
at the door, not by Miss Rose, <laughs> but by her <laughs> by her stepmother. Yes. No, I joke. The the stepmom yeah, is actually yeah. quite good, all things considered. But, you know, Sarah is a teenage girl, and this woman is an imposter in her home, so obviously there's going to be conflict here. This is world-ending kind of stuff happening mm-hmm. to her. And by world-ending, I mean teenage yes. person world-ending. <laughs> Stepmother tells her, you said you'd be home earlier, you have to watch the baby while your father and I go out. And Sarah throws a snit and she goes, well, you never asked if I had any plans. It's like, yeah, because we know you don't have plans, you giant nerd. Girl, you were in the park <laughs> reciting lines to the dog. We know you don't have any plans. Yeah, yeah, poor girl. Goes up to her room, changes her outfit very mm-hmm. quickly. Mm-hmm. So the shot continues to her room. And this is one of my favorite acts of, uh, it's not so much mise-en-scene, but this is just set decorating taken to an incredible level. A, it looks like a teenager's bedroom Mm -hmm. for real. There's crap everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) But this is the genius of the set decorators. Everything you see in the room or most things that you see in the room will come up later Mm -hmm. in the film. It actually calls into question whether or not anything we see in the film is even real, right? Exactly. Is this her fantasy Mm -hmm. world? Like, literally fantasy world? Or is it an actual fantasy world? Does any of this really happen? Who who are we to know? Right. The, the the great philosophers have been sitting around for decades going, is Labyrinth real or is it just Indeed. a dream? Yeah, the big question of the ages. So I, I can go through all the things, but I'm not going to because that's boring. You guys do that yourselves. The one thing I do want to point out in this room that's important is as it's panning across to her sitting at her little uh, dressing room table there is a scrapbook open with pictures and newspaper articles cut out and big words saying mom with hearts and arrows pointing to a picture of a woman that same woman is on the next page in a picture with David mm-hmm. Bowie mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. telling telling uh huh uh huh really she's got mm-hmm. mommy issues that and the fa- daddy issues <laughs> It's, it is Electra Complex the movie. Oh, yes. Yeah. Only problem is mom's already dead, so she has to figure out the complex right. part. <laughs> so again, she's talking to herself in the mirror, pretending she's a princess, and the parents leave for the night. Sarah looks up from what she's doing to find one of her stuffed bears Lancelot is missing and she knows exactly where it will be she storms into the baby's room grabs the bear from the floor and just starts yelling oh at this God. toddler it's a child Sarah <laughs> it's it's so wild it's 
I, I, I get it. You're a teenager. You want to do your own stuff. You like your own stuff. And all the attention's being taken away from you now because you're no longer the baby of the mm-hmm. family. But, but, you know, this big teen girl energy is not helping. I mean, people. the reality is, is that she needs to be a brat now so that she can evolve and mature over the course of the film. Like, even just watching it today, I was stunned at how Jennifer Connelly presents Sarah as a very bratty teenage girl in these opening scenes. She's so petulant and whiny. And then by the end of the film, she almost looks like an adult and she's so confident. And that's pretty amazing because it's very subtle. Yeah. And on top of it, you're, you're placing this character arc on top of a literal teenager, Mm -hmm. a teenage actress. How many actors as teenagers do you think can pull off that kind of subtlety? Yeah. I mean, it's one of the reasons that she's gone on to become such a huge star, even as an adult, right? Like, we could see her acting prowess as a teenager. Oscar Mm -hmm. winner, Jennifer Connelly. A bad movie, but Oscar winner nonetheless. (laughs) Oscar winner nonetheless, right? I'm not going to take it away from her. (laughs) She'll fight. (laughs) So the baby toby won't stop crying so she decides all right i'll do what people do i'll tell the baby a story maybe that'll shut him up and it's heavily implied that the story that she's telling is the one from her book Mm -hmm. the labyrinth because of course she's super obsessed with it why wouldn't she as she does so we start to get cuts away from the scene of her telling a story to toby to a pile of horrible goblins all sleeping together and slowly waking up to pay attention to her it's such a bold move to just cut to here's a bunch of gross horrible (laughs) things look at it for a bit as they wake up i love the idea too that in this world storytelling and words have power right so we'll see it with her her big monologue with david bowie at the end of this but really even here she has the ability to awaken this fantasy world simply by calling upon the goblins so like she calls they will answer they wouldn't have come if she hadn't said the words and that's such an interesting testament to storytelling and its power yeah it's it is the magic of Mm -hmm. stories it's it's primal stuff but the goblins are now wrapped with attention as she continues to tell the story quite possibly about them but she's not aware of that and you know, it gets a little humorous and then it gets a little dark as various goblins say various things. You know, some of them are upset at each other. One is just an idiot. As always. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love this about the uh, Jim Henson creating these characters and going in and saying, I want every single goblin to be a unique looking mm-hmm. thing. Right? 
with with the Muppets, you look at Sesame Street and it's like, okay, big orange round head, blue nose, big orange round head, green nose, big orange round head, red nose. And here instead it was like, I want distinct characters, distinct looks. This one's going to have a big nose and it's going to be all about the nose. And This one is just going to be all fingers and stuff. And it's, it's beautiful, this level of creation. The, the creatures were uh, created conceptually by... Um, Brian Froud, who was actually the father of the baby oh, Toby, really? <laughs> who was played by yeah yeah. So he he was so invested in the movie. He's like yeah yeah yeah. Use my newborn right. baby son. He'll be fine. And I mean he's gone on to be uh, part of the Jim Henson workshop and whatnot as well. So you know kind of born into it mm-hmm. I guess. So. Sarah finally, in, in kind of a, a the heat of passion, lifts up Toby and she says, Goblin King, Goblin King, wherever you may be, take this child of mine far away from me. And the goblins hate that. That's not what they want. <laughs> <laughs> so good. It doesn't even start with I wish. She gets upset, puts Toby back down, turns off the lights, and on her way out of the room, just goes... I wish the goblins would take you away right now. There it is. And and there it is. She goes back into the room to find an empty crib and all these creatures running around darkened corners and sliding up the banister and peeking out from curtains. It's always kind of like on the edge mm-hmm. of her vision. At the same time, this huge barn owl starts beating its wings against the window and the the cutting is frenetic the energy is ramping up just cut 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 her spinning around trying to look at what's happening in the room and finally the doors fling wide open this owl flies in and transforms into david bowie Mm -hmm. it's a hell of an interest oh my god this i'm pretty sure this movie if i wasn't gay already this movie did it to me it's like oh okay so when you want to make an impact when you want to make a splash on a debut this is the kind of extra you need to bring oh he he shows up and he's he's got the wind machine going at his back uh there's 20 pounds of glitter that's been thrown into the air the music is reflecting his entrance as well. It's being all tinkly and ooh, mysterious. And she's mm-hmm. in awe. But she's also a little uh, upset because, hey, her baby brother's right. gone. And if mom and dad come back, they're going to be real you pissed. Betcha. And so yep. she. Be- yeah, <laughs> yeah. She begs him to return the baby. And he tries to bribe her into forgetting about it. And this is where we get to see some dope as fuck contact juggling. I was going to say, I didn't realize that David Bowie had uh, sleight of hand magic skills (laughs) until this movie. So this isn't David Bowie performing this. (laughs) Of course not. I I know. So what they did was it's David Bowie standing Mm -hmm. there. And doing the kind of uh, Second City improv thing where another person sticks their hands underneath their arms. This contact juggler had to learn to do all of these tricks blindfolded, basically. 
So it's some incredible stuff from that guy who just stuck his arm out and went, I can do this Mm -hmm. with my arm while my head is basically pressed up against David Bowie's back. There you go. The position all of us wish we could be in. (laughs) Well, not right now. He's he's dead. Wow. (laughs) How dare you? (laughs) He lives on in our hearts, but yeah, the fleshy vessel Mm -hmm. is gone. So Jareth, the Goblin King, offers her a deal because she decides not to take the crystal ball after it turns into a snake and then a scarf and then a goblin. He fucking throws it at her. No wonder she doesn't want it. (laughs) Here you go. Snake! Oh, fuck. Uh, He gives her the deal saying, if you can make it to the center of the labyrinth within 13 hours... You get the baby back. Mm-hmm. No problem. No sure. questions. But if you don't, your baby brother will be one of us forever. Mm-hmm. And he disappears into the background. As it turns out that while they've been talking, she's been magically transported to outside of the mm-hmm. labyrinth. I love that. It's like, not even make your way over to it. It's in Central Park or some bullshit. It's like, no, we're just going to dissolve behind you, and you're already here. Let's get this movie started. Yep. I mean, we're barely, what, 10, 12 minutes into the yeah. film, and it's already, here's the labyrinth, here's the mm-hmm. quest. Let's go, motherfuckers. Exactly. The call to adventure has begun. Let's get into it. Well, little mm-hmm. hiccup. Can't find first. our way in. <laughs> you gotta get I in. I do love first. that it's like right from the beginning. And you you have to test your smarts and get this kind of gentle introduction to these characters to say, oh yeah, it's not just like cool quest. It's like let's test your metal. How do you do with patience? How do you do with smarts? Yeah, it like this is it's your standard hero's journey mm-hmm. kind of thing. But it's been skewed in the direction of a female protagonist, right? right? It's no, it's not about like you have to defeat the Gorgon and you have to slay the yeah, beast. Yeah, there's no Minotaur. It's, yeah, you you have to figure out some important personal shit. Work your shit out, Sarah, mm-hmm. through my therapy. Exactly. Labyrinth. Yeah, filled with door knockers <laughs> and holes. Yeah. Yeah, and hopefully you'll get to the other side alive, and if not, mm. oh well, I guess. It's brilliant. And one of the things I also love about this is when we see the labyrinth from where she's standing, just these gorgeous map mm-hmm. paintings. Yeah. Oh my god, I I miss seeing good map paintings in films. Oh, you don't you don't miss I mean, uh, now that, like standard looking walls of just like CGI animation where you're like, well, that's not real at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was that really unfortunate time for a while where everybody was like, what if we, we don't need to build sets and shit. What if we just CGI in everything? And then slowly directors went, okay, no, hold no, no, on no. a second. It back. We still need some <laughs> things built, please. Shockingly enough, our actors sometimes need to be able to interact with something physical in the environment. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, for example, on Strange New Worlds, I worked on that for a couple mm-hmm. of weeks. 
they have a room built that they call the hollow deck. Okay. And uh, I, I went there working for set deck and I was told, okay, so I was put in this big room. There's all these boulders and a big chair and all kinds of weird stuff. I was told, all right, we're going to get the boulders out of here and put something new in, in its place. And I was like, okay, cool. It's just a big dark room. I don't know why we can't turn on the mm-hmm. lights. You know, a nice round room. I'm moving the boulders, and then while I'm doing it, somebody switches on the um, AR, well, AR screen. Turns out the whole wall, mm-hmm. part of the ceiling of this place, is essentially just a giant TV screen where they've been programming all of the deep focus stuff into it. Wow. So okay. when you film it, the actors are interacting with real things within, you know, 20 meters of themselves. Okay. But beyond that, it's CGI mm-hmm. space goodness. Right. Hmm. And I, and it's that it's a really cool blend of, okay, we're working with the practical, but we're using the CGI where it needs yes. to be used, right? And, oh, yeah, we got to see the spaceships flying away from this hell planet, mm-hmm. I guess. So, yeah, yeah, that's my spiel on where where it's going at the moment. I don't know if we'll revert back at any point. I know working on what we do in the shadows right now uh it's a lot of sets very little green screen that we use yeah in it. but that show looks great too <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it, it does so on the outside of this labyrinth she's trying to figure out how to get in and she runs into a horrible dwarf pissing in a pond <laughs> What an entrance as well. Everybody gets a cool entrance in this movie. She interrupts. He stops pissing. And he goes about his job exterminating fairies. Yep. (laughs) Which is an interesting, like, inversion, right? Because this movie isn't afraid to make things grotesque and dirty and even like a little bit juvenile. Like I love when they're trying to get over the bog and they have to step on the stones and it's just fart noises for like two minutes. But I I love that this character is introduced. Yes. As you said, pissing, he's got this giant nose on him that kind of looks like he's been punched. He's, he's got like cauliflower nose and he's so fucking grouchy and he's killing fairies who are meant to be, the the sort of symbol of purity in fantasy worlds right like we think of tinkerbell when you hear fairies Mm -hmm. and he's just like snuffing these things out and delightfully cackling how he (laughs) how many he has killed (laughs) and she she even goes over to rescue one going oh you're such a monster and it bites Mm -hmm. her yeah because if you know anything about the actual legend of fairies you'll know that often fairies are little pieces of shit and they are tricksters and they are mean and not good yeah she's she's definitely coming from a very 80s disney-fied mm-hmm. version of fantasy yep. into a world of proper fantasy where guess what the stakes are mm-hmm. much higher and this is where she learns the valuable lesson of not everything is as it seems yep. so she asks Hoggle for directions into the labyrinth and through a series of very annoying questions and Mm. answers where he will give her the very literal answer of what she's asking. She finally manages to get out of him 
how do I get into the labyrinth? And he goes, ah, oh, in that mm-hmm. door. And big spooky door opens up. Ooh. Love it. Well, he introduces himself as Hoggle, which everyone will continue to get wrong for the rest of the mm-hmm. film. And she decides to choose one of two directions to enter the labyrinth. She can go left or right. But as far as she can see, it's just a straight passage. There are no turns. There are no openings. It's just two walls stretching on into infinity. Mm -hmm. So she chooses one direction and starts booking it. And along the way, everything... Every, I, I cannot imagine what the glitter budget for this <laughs> film was because everything's covered in glitter top to bottom incredible I mean it's it's a drag queen's mm-hmm. dream and of course after running for 30 seconds she gets frustrated starts throwing a bit of a fit and has a nice sit down She's greeted by the loveliest little worm Mm -hmm. who invites her inside to come inside and meet the missus. (laughs) It's adorable. If you haven't seen this worm, find a picture of the worm. If if you just enjoy listening to the pod. Yeah, it reminds me of a glow worm. She... (laughs) Oh, like the glow worm from... James and the Giant Peach? Uh, maybe? Like, this This was more of, like, an 80s kind of toy. You could use them as nightlights because they would just glow in the dark. Oh! I know exactly what you're talking... Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember those. Its whole head would just yeah. light up, but the rest of it was mm. soft. Yeah, I think I remember having one for ages. Oh, I one is a plot point in Big oh, Mouth. Oh, really? <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, it it turns out one of the characters she uses it for her special Ooh, times. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's it great show. Mm-hmm. Love the show. Yeah, it it was just a little weird to see that thing from your childhood and yeah. oh no. Oh, okay. Big mouth right. excels at that kind of stuff. Yeah. So the worm explains to her that not everything in the labyrinth is as it seems. In fact, right across from you is an opening. She goes, no, it's not. It's, yes. Yes, it is. She walks through in some really great optical illusion stuff mm-hmm. like um, uh, Last Crusade with the, with yes. the hidden bridge very similar kind of vibe where she pushes through and all of a sudden oh oh yeah this is a doorway great she goes to leave and the worm stops her and says no 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 you don't want to go that way never go that way and she goes oh thank you very much and leaves and he ends his appearance with if she'd kept on going down that way she'd have gone straight to that castle no one ever says exactly what they need to say in this movie and and that's really part of the lesson she's trying to learn here is what do you really want? What do you really mm-hmm. mean when you're asking yes. for things? Meanwhile, in the castle, Jareth and his throne room retinue laugh over Sarah not being able to solve the labyrinth as she moves through increasingly bizarre mm-hmm. paths. 
And this is where we get to our first proper musical number. This is where Bowie <laughs> sings Magic Dance. Oh, man. Possibly the most iconic number from this entire movie, right? Absolutely. I, I, I know, I think in Frosh at university, we used the, the, the you know, you remind mm-hmm. me of the babe. What babe part? As some chant thing. Frosh, oh right? <laughs> Things that should not be appropriated for Frosh Week. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm real old. We're real old. Frosh Week. <laughs> so we, as he's singing this great song, please look it up. Find it on Spotify, YouTube, wherever. If you haven't listened to the soundtrack, listen to the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. It's dope. Uh, we get a montage of Sarah trying to solve the labyrinth, but she learns by the end of the song that uh, the world itself doesn't play by ordinary rules as it, she, she thinks she's figured something out by marking where she's been with arrows in lipstick on Mm -hmm. the ground thinking, great, I'll see it. If I come across it again, problem is the labyrinth shifts or creatures move things various things it's great it's awesome and it really throws a wrench in anyone going like yeah i could solve this i do love that this is another example of sarah using her for lack of a better term sort of feminine wiles right like if this was a boy he wouldn't have hypothetically a tube of lipstick so he wouldn't be able to do something like this but it immediately reminds us oh she is smart it's just that she doesn't know the rules of the world that she's playing in right now so she doesn't know that if you make a mark somebody can just get up and change the block around but from our perspective as an audience we're like oh that's a smart thing to do that makes sense yeah you could imagine if this was a boy he'd try to like climb up over the wall to try and game the system that way but of course because it's magic it would stop him Mm -hmm. as well and uh, because of this when she finally realizes that the marks can change on her she throws the lipstick down and huff turns around and finds herself stuck in a room with two slash four guards (laughs) in it this is so very Alice in Wonderland, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's riddle time. I mean, what's what's a quest without a riddle somewhere oh, sure. in it? Yeah. So it's the classic of one of the guards always tells the truth, one of them always lies, one of the doors leads to the center of the labyrinth, and one of them leads to bum 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 certain death. <laughs> sure. Yeah yeah uh, of course yeah we're gonna kill the protagonist of this film 30 minutes mm-hmm. in good luck well i mean it's it's also argument she she solves it arguably solves it because immediately upon walking through the door she falls down a shaft where she is grabbed by helping mm-hmm. hands which are just hands sticking out of a tunnel that form themselves into faces in the behind the scenes documentary. You can actually see the teams of people working together to figure out how many different faces they can form together with just their hands. 
it's it's very cool to watch like five or six people kind of crowded mm-hmm. around each other going like oh what if you put your hand like this and watching somebody do it and like oh yeah that's great and it, it feels very much um like jim henson handing off some creative control intelligently saying you guys figure this out you're the artists you're the performers let's see what you can come up with with just right i mean it's a different kind of puppeteering right like in a way it's sleight of hand Mm -hmm. magic it it we're playing within the same ballpark of skills and abilities but you know i'm trying to think have i seen something like this in a movie absolutely not of the time period but I mean, the other thing that I find fascinating about this is that this is our first sort of real taste of nightmare fuel from this movie. Like, this movie fucked up a lot of kids, myself included. And these things aren't inherently scary, but they're also terrifying because they're just disembodied hands sticking out of a wall. Yeah, it's it's a bit of the uncanny valley. We know what hands Mm -hmm. are. We know what faces are. But now you're making faces out of hands mm-hmm. and they're communicating yeah. with her. It's it's so much. It's it's fantastic. And they actually they suspended her on ropes in a long tunnel oh, really? of just all these performers okay. sticking their hands through. Uh, you can tell a couple of the hands are clearly they're just fake hands stuck sure. to a wall. But they had just levels of performers outside, all with their hands stuck through these walls. It's, it, I, I do recommend watching the behind-the-scenes mm-hmm. stuff for, for this film because the creative know-how going into it. Like, most of the sets were essentially Swiss mm-hmm. cheese until you stuck a bunch of puppets into right. those holes. And then all of a sudden it's, we're oh, making a world. <laughs> yeah, there's creatures everywhere. Yeah, as opposed to, we made half a world and now we just gotta plug yeah, exactly. the holes. So, the helping hands give her a choice of which direction she'd like to go. Directly up or directly down. She chooses down, they laugh at her, and they just drop her into a dark room. Jareth watches from his castle, and he comments that, oh, she's in the oubliette, an actual thing that people would build into their mm-hmm. castles, which is a dark room where you put somebody to just forget about yep. them. It's like worse than a dungeon. Yeah, uh, the dungeon, there's always the hope of, oh, the guy's going to come around with keys and maybe I can beg for my release or maybe I can somehow escape or somebody will get me. No, an oubliette is just a hole in the ground where you stick someone and then board it back up and go, cool, that's that problem solved, I guess. done and dusted. Forget all about it. (laughs) It's great. So somehow Hoggle shows up in the oubliette with her. But this is a magical fantasy world. We don't need Mm -hmm. to know how. He explains to her what the room is and then says, you know, I can take you to back out of the labyrinth. And she goes, no, 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 no. I I, I need to solve this. And she decides to bribe him with some plastic jewelry. Ooh. (laughs) A trick that would absolutely work on my nieces and nephews, too. Oh, please. And also you. You just talked about how you have (laughs) labyrinth earrings. (laughs) 
I I may not be swayed by plastic jewelry. <laughs> I need diamonds. No, no, God, no! I don't want diamonds. Those are common <laughs> as fuck. Give me Ooh. opals. I have taste. <laughs> also, I don't like the whole blood diamond. Oh, fair. You know, fair, fair, fair. Most of these yeah. things are. Yeah, 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 yeah. Also, they're just common as fuck. Why would I want something that mm-hmm. any woman can have? So, he uh, he manages to convince her. Yeah, all right. I I will take you as far as I can. He picks up a door, which becomes a pots and pans closet, and then immediately becomes mm-hmm. an exit. And I don't I don't know how they pulled this off. There there is magic happening in this film all over the place. And this is one of those moments where I go like, that mm-hmm. was a wall, and then it was a closet, and then it was an exit. This is brilliant. It's the kind of shit that we would get used to and take for granted in things like Harry Potter, except that they were using FX and computer generated shit. This, they didn't have that option. So they somehow had to pull this off practically. Yeah, they, I mean, they blew the CGI budget on an owl. (laughs) So no more CGI for the rest of the film. And yeah, just the practical effects of this movie are great. So they're making their way out of the oubliette past a bunch of warning statues Mm -hmm. faces who are all claiming that she's going the wrong way i love the comedy of this and they come across (laughs) the the oh please i haven't said it in such a long Mm -hmm. time i don't know why there's so many creatures in the labyrinth that are also from the northern part of England. I mean, they were shooting it in the UK, so maybe they just recruited a bunch of uh, northerners? I don't know. No, there was only like a team of 12 voice actors, and they're all jumping from character to character. It's just, it's such an interesting detail of, uh, who here can do a northern accent? Great! You three. Northern accents in this scene, please. They come across a an old beggar Muppet who asks them, what are you up to? Hoggle says, oh, nothing. And this is a line I use in my day-to-day life when somebody tells me nothing. Nothing, 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 (laughs) tra-la-la! Big laughs from people who have seen the movie. Everybody else just looks at me like I've lost my mind. Eh, I can live with it. It turns out that the Muppet is Bowie in disguise. Very good disguise, actually. He's just out here trolling them. It's like, dude, you've got nothing better to do. He has nothing better to do. We see him often in the castle just sitting Mm -hmm. around, bored out of his skull, playing with a baby. Yeah. Life is dull for this guy. No wonder he's so excited by Sarah being in the labyrinth. It finally gives him some sense of adventure. Yeah, that's that's actually something I've I've rarely thought of. Like, what is Jareth's role in all this other than this is entertainment exactly. for him? So he asks Sarah, "How how's she doing?" She says, "Oh, it's a piece mm-hmm. of cake." So he decides to punish her by knocking a few hours off of the time, and he attempts to eviscerate her with a giant cleaning machine. <laughs> I mean. 
we could ask questions about whether he ever truly intends to kill her, right? Like, opening the door and falling down the helping hands hit should have killed her. Ending up in the oubliette should have killed her. Like, I don't know that he ever truly means to harm her. I think he just likes to scare her. And that's the question, right? Like, did she solve that riddle in that... Yeah, if she had gone in and fallen down, she would have been in an oubliette, which is certain death. But she does make it to the castle. Spoilers. Because she does make it to the castle at the center of the labyrinth by the end of the film. So really, like, both answers were kind of true, Mm -hmm. right? It makes you wonder if both doors would have led to the same outcome. Or if one just had, like, a flamethrower behind it and would have turned her into ashes <laughs> immediately. Yeah. This one was actually the direct route to the castle. The other one was certain death. There was just a dragon there. But to be fair as well, she will die at some point. So don't all doors lead to certain Ugh, death? Now we're getting existential. <laughs> okay. All right. Hoggle and Sarah managed to avoid the cleaner, mm-hmm. this big machine that's about to eviscerate them. And this is where they go through a hidden door, up a ladder, and out of an urn that is sitting on top of a Love table it. that you can see mm-hmm. underneath. I, great. It's got to be mirrors. Great practical effect. I think it's mirrors. Oh, sure. We'll just chalk everything up to mirrors <laughs> at this point. Stage magic. It's an illusion, mm-hmm. Michael. Look over there. <laughs> this is where we also learn about the bog of eternal stench it's a bog (laughs) that smells real bad okay it doesn't just smell real bad if you stick even a toe Mm. in it you will smell bad for the rest of your life i do like that because it seems like such a silly little thing like oh hoggle you're overreacting don't be such a drama queen but then when you hear that and you think oh like imagine the worst smell you would ever smell in your life and never being able to get rid of that smell on a part of your body yeah that'd be upsetting yeah you i mean i i talked to my nephews about this one of my nephews is he's coming up on 10 i think god i'm old (laughs) and and it's now getting to the point of, like, I, I'm going to sit him down and explain to him, hey, buddy, um, listen, you got to shower every day uh, and you got to put deodorant on every yeah. day because you are growing up and your body's changing, yada, yada, yada. But here's the big thing. You can be stupid. You can be mean. You can be ugly. And people will be friends with you. But if you mm-hmm. smell... Nobody wants to be around you. Yeah. If you are wearing eau de bog, you will never make friends. You will never get laid, buddy. At 10. Eau de bog. Well, uh, hopefully not at 10. Hopefully. The good news is he's a weird kid. So we're we're pretty sure he's not going to get laid for a little while. You've got some time to work with then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he has had his first date a couple months ago. It was very cute. They went to a mm. fair. They both got their faces painted like uh, Spider-Man. Okay. It was like, nice. oh. oh. Yeah. And doesn't look like he's a homosexual, so I can't help uh, him on that well, front. That's disappointing. What went wrong? 
what went wrong. He likes Sonic the Hedgehog too much to be homosexual. Ooh, I don't know. I was a big fan of Sonic. <laughs> Actually, no, that's a lie. I was a big fan of Tails. Fuck, I am gay. <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. Right. Wait, is there a female He's side? He's full here? on Sonic. <laughs> Damn it. There's lots. Oh, there's uh, Rouge the Bat, who's got big old titties for some reason. Um, just... uh, don't ask me how I'll know this. <laughs> yeah, look up Rouge the Bat. You'll, she's a slut. She is very much designed to look sure, like a we slut. We gotta sexualize children's media as often as possible, but then also hand ring about sexualizing no. children's media. <laughs> oh, hold on. It's it's only fine to sexualize it if it's oh, heteronormative sexualization. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we can draw this bat with big old tits. That's fine. But how dare, how dare two male characters even look right. at each other? Where where are the male characters with giant balls in children's media? That's what I'm missing. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> The, the problem is, I don't think Sonic could run as fast as he can with giant balls hanging off sure, of him. He's got to like pull them up and hold them in one in one hand or something. <laughs> oh my god! How do we how do we get on this? <laughs> <laughs> this is this is par for the course with our podcast. We get on weird oh, tangents, sure. like the time I had. To, I had to explain to Sarah the worst role I'd ever seen uh, Rutger Hauer play. Oh. Just the single, the single most offensive thing I could, I've ever seen in a film. He he played a First Nations character in a movie called Blast. Dear. Yeah, yeah. They put him in brown face and they gave him the mm, braided hair oh. and all stuff. Oh, oh! It doesn't stop there. They double down because he also doesn't have legs and he uses a, a motorized oh, wheelchair. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Just- Let's let's hit that, all the offensive buttons. Yeah, and you don't find out either of those until a good way par- through the movie because he's usually in shadow and sitting down. So you're like, oh, he's always in a dark room, and then you see him in light, and then you see him moving, and you go, oh no. Mm-hmm. Choices, choices were yep. made. Anyway, right. back to the okay. film. Sarah and Hoggle are briefly stopped by an old man with a horrible bird for a hat, and uh, mm-hmm. they move on. It's funny. I remember liking this a lot as a kid, thinking the the hat that talks back was amusing. Yeah, it, it's very sassy and snarky. It talks down to the old man that it's sitting on top of. Like, it's uh, maybe it's a symbiotic relationship. The movie doesn't care enough to give background on any characters in no. this it's just like no hero's quest here we yeah. go weird if shit. you're not in sarah's immediate crew you are like fun window dressing you can show up either have a number or a funny like witty repartee and then you're out and we'll talk to you later done goodbye well sarah and hoggle continue through the ever-changing landscape and over the over the course of a conversation, they've become friends. Mm-hmm. And Hoggle's, oh, I've never had a friend before. And she's, oh yeah, I kind of see you as a friend, I, I guess. Yes, you're helping me. Sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. But he turns tail and runs at the first sign of trouble, uh, because they hear a terrifying roar from the distance. Ludo. I Ludo. love Ludo and Aww. his weird ability to call rocks. 
He's friends with Rogs. Can't you call up your friends and they'll show up? I mean, frankly, no. That's part of the problem. But um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. There's something very childish about Ludo, right? It's the equivalent of a living teddy bear that Sarah needs to help survive in this world. But he's just so innocent. I find it very endearing. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's he's enormous, like, standing easily eight mm-hmm. feet tall. He's covered in red fur. He's basically a wild yeah. thing, but minus the wild part. Right, because, of course, this, this movie is infamously based on Wizard of Oz and then where the wild things are at. Oh, and as many things in that initial scene, as I said earlier, that you can cram into it. I mean, there's an MC Escher uh, mm-hmm. painting she has on her wall. There's a poster for cats, but I, I'm sure that informed just the sexuality of David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> He's come to rum, tum, tugger your oh baby God. away. Goodbye. Oh no, no. I'm, th- I'm sorry. I misspoke. That was the He's very, He's very clearly McCavity, right. the, <laughs> and he's come mm-hmm. to steal your baby. So Sarah rescues Ludo from the trap that he's in, and they immediately become yes. friends. Of course. Because why not? Let's This is how let's it do works. This. We're, do- we're doing and they find friends them s- now. Yeah, let's go. We don't have time for anything else. Friends! They find themselves in front of two doors with knockers and have an amusing uh, discussion with one of the knockers has a big knocker through his ears and the other one has it through his Do mouth. You even hear so yourself? One. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Giant knockers. Oh my, what big mm-hmm. knockers. Oh they thank you. I don't you, want Buck that Dale. thing back in my mouth. <laughs> he doesn't want who doesn't want big knockers in their right. mouth? What did we say about sexualizing children's media? It's not my fault that they made it the lowest hanging fruit on this enormous gay fruit tree. It's not even a peach. That comes later. (laughs) That does come later. Well, they make it through one of the doors and... Ludo is immediately yep. dropped down a trapdoor, and he's out of the film for a bit. I just love it. Goodbye. People just fall down things all the time in this movie, and it's like, yeah, you're just done for a little bit. We'll see you in a, in a few scenes. Half the labyrinth is trapdoors. So he'll come back later. Anyway, let's go see what Hoggle's up to. Sarah's freaking out, and he can hear her in the distance, and he decides no i'm gonna go i'm gonna go help her runs in and uh before he can he's stopped by david bowie once more who still doesn't know his name but that's that's mm-hmm. fine gives hoggle a kind of ultimatum right. you're gonna give sarah this peach i'm not gonna tell you what it does just make sure she eats it and everything will be mm-hmm. fine Pooh, no problem but if she ever kisses oh, you, boy. I'll turn you into a prince. Prince of the land of stench! <laughs> so it's good to know there's a land of stench for all the really smelly people who 
Staring to go. the bog. Yeah. I mean, I guess you don't want them just out and about, you know, stinking up the joint. You want to corral them so that they are only in one space. Oh. Oh, oh no. This sounds really bad saying it this way. Corralling people? Putting them into one place? Yeah. No. Oh, no. Even smelly people don't deserve this. <laughs> I did think during this scene particularly, I was like, man... Jareth is kind of lazy. Like, he really doesn't want to get his hands dirty. He's so content to get Hoggle to do all of his bad shit on his behalf, right? Or just trusting that the labyrinth will do its job. So he wants to lurk around, but he doesn't want to lift a finger. I'm just like, man, you are every white man I have ever met in my life. But he's doing it in a way that allows him to, like, mm-hmm. pose suggestively oh, on sure. rocks or on his throne. Yeah, yeah with his... Um, <laughs> I mean... Yeah, yeah. My god, this... Apparently, in the costume fittings, Jim Henson kept saying, can we, can we tape that down? Can we, like, can you build the pants mm-hmm. different? And the costume designers were like, we've tried taping it down. It, it's like, maybe we need to talk. <laughs> uh, I've, I think at this point, they just went, whatever, we're rolling. We've tried stuff, and it just keep whatever. Maybe kids won't notice it. Look, there's a big dick in this movie, and everybody's just got to accept <laughs> it and move on. Cameras are up in five. I mean, it's David Bowie. Who's not thinking about David Bowie's dick? Correct. Yes. Especially in this movie. <laughs> there we go. Oh, especially in this movie. I haven't seen The Hunger, but I assume it's in The Hunger as well. At uh, some I mean, strangely enough, that movie very much belongs to the ladies, but he is obviously a sexual object. So you just you don't have David Bowie yeah. around yeah. if you don't want weird sex. That's what he brings. Yeah, I mean, are there... Oh, the only example I can think of David Bowie appearing in something that's not sexual is he was in an episode of Spongebob. And you're sure it wasn't sexual? Uh, He was King Neptune, so he was like a mer-person. You just answered your own question. Sex. Shit! Fuck! (laughs) Mer-person? Definition of sex. Um... (laughs) Very good. Excellent. Non-stop sex coming from David Bowie Correct. 24-7. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, Hoggle goes off with a peach and we cut back to Sarah, who is suddenly accosted by a group of horrible self-dismembering mm-hmm. puppets who sing Chili Down and threaten to behead her. Honestly, my favorite part of this movie it is so upsetting. This gave me full-blown fucking nightmares. These creatures are <laughs> horrifying. And this song kicks ass. I, again, it's a David Bowie song. But this, this of all the songs in the film, doesn't sound no. like him. But I know it's him. Mm-hmm. It's it's great. They pluck out each other's eyeballs and play with them. They can rip off their arms and legs and reassemble their bodies. However, they're they're called the fireies. And again, th- this is another fun 
behind the scenes documentary you you watch it and you can see these teams mm-hmm. of people all acting as various limbs for these right. things so you've got like two to maybe five or six people per puppet all able to dismember various arms and legs from them as they Mm -hmm. go and move their heads and eyeballs independently it's and all of these muppets they're not cute cuddly um oh lovely muppet it's no these things were designed with like veins in their eyes and all the little gross details of wrinkles and skin bunching up Mm -hmm. in places they look like crossbreeds for lack of a better term like cats mixed with dragons or reptiles or something like they're they're extremely unfamiliar in the way that nearly everything else kind of resembles something that you can easily identify like ludo you're not really sure what he is but he looks like a cross between a dog and a teddy bear only eight feet tall these things are like what the fuck are they it's bizarre and, and also on, completely captivating. <laughs> on top of it, because they're able to dismember themselves, they can rearrange themselves uh-huh. to be like, oh, now I'm just a head with two arms crawling uh-huh. around. Oh, now we're an ostrich. Now we're a horse. And it's, just, oh, it's wildly upsetting yes. and amazing all at the same yes. time. I love it. My favorite is the one whose leg starts to bounce so quickly that it bounces away from him. (laughs) Yeah, because why not? They're they are here for a good time and a long time because they're functionally Mm -hmm. immortal. I do like the fact that they are a threatening figure to Sarah because, of course, they don't understand that there are other species whose heads are not able to be removed from their bodies, but they get really upset with her. (laughs) <laughs> when she starts to dismember them like they they basically say like hey don't be rude you can't just toss other people's heads around that's not proper yeah we were about to rip mm-hmm. your head off and make you one of us so you could have good times forever right. and ever and you go and start throwing our heads away how very dare uh-huh. you too funny it's so much fun and, but she manages to escape by being rescued by Hoggle. And as a thank you, she kisses no. him. Which opens up another trap door. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they fall through it, which sends them immediately to the Bog of Eternal Stench. Yep. They, they almost fall in only to be rescued by falling on top mm-hmm. of Ludo, who has also ended up at the Bog. I no stench today. I do love the fact that it it looks perilous, right? Like they're making their way across this very narrow ledge and almost falling several times and then they do fall and there's like an entire shoreline where Ludo is just sitting there and you're like, oh, you just needed to look down and realize you just had test, to make it about five more steps. I think may, maybe it's because the, the stench mm. hits them immediately and it is indescribable. Like, she's trying to say, like, it smells like it smells like, and Hoggle's just... It doesn't matter what it smells like. Mm-hmm. It smells. It's great. I, how often do films really invest themselves in what is the smell of this scene? <laughs> smell-o-vision. 
Oh, thank God there's no smell of vision for this. I mean, this. I'm curious. What do you think this smells like? Because I'm imagining it's like cheese mixed with like sports socks. See, I get a, a rotten garbage. Ooh, okay. uh, that Like the, the garbage juice oh, at the bottom yeah. of things. Where, yeah. And then coupled with farts. Oh, of course. Because farts. Yeah. The, the entire place is again an, this incredible set where they've built mm-hmm. a bog but half of it is smoking yeah. and farting it's just like <laughs> in the background constantly and the scope is big right I mean these were not they were not shooting on little sets they were shooting on big sound stages and you can tell but it helps to give you this sense that this is a whole proper world because this is just one part of this entire labyrinth and yet it has a distinct personality that is completely different from any other place we have visited yeah it's this is how you do world building in a movie there's there doesn't have to be much of a tell it this is show and sort of smell <laughs> right show and smell <laughs> smell <Yeah>. don't tell <laughs> smell don't tell it, it that's great it's it's amazing and it just lets your imagination run wild it's like the best some of the best horror movies don't show mm-hmm. you the creature it lets you think what can the creature be and allows you to fill in all those blanks of the really horrible stuff. So in this movie, they just decided, Hey, we're going to have a really smelly room. And I think if I'm correct, is Sarah with us? Sarah, are you with us? Hello, gentlemen. Am I late? (laughs) Well, we are at the bog of eternal stench. Oh, no. Oh, no. Sarah, help us. Call the rocks. <laughs> uh, I can do the sound yes. effects if you want. Hello. How you doing? Hi, Joe. Thank you for being patient. So we're, we're all together. We're all here now. Oh, no. Have you lost me? Yeah, I think you guys have lost me. Nope, so nope. I gotcha. Yeah, I lost Sarah for a moment. Oh, great. Oh, Sarah's gone this time. Oh, no. Oh, she's back. It, it, feels, like, <laughs> it feels like we're having a seance. We're like, Sarah, Sarah, I, I, can, <laughs> I can feel another presence. Are you, are you there with us? I'm hearing, I'm, I'm hearing a name that starts with an N. Is there an N that's important to I'm you? I'm getting fart sounds. Does... Is someone walking over rocks right now? <laughs> I, I, has there ever been sickness in your family? No, we're the healthiest fucking family in the universe. <laughs> All eight generations are still alive. <laughs> We've never known sorrow or death. Wow, so we're not communicating with the Kennedys. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> uh, just the 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 line from yes. Clone High during the race: "Nothing bad ever happens to the Kennedys." I'm a Kennedy. I'm not accustomed to tragedy. <laughs> My abs are so good, you can grate cheese on them. So, have you guys compared this at all to the um, 
the swamp in Princess Bride oh, with the R.O.U.S. about that because I'm like. 80s like to do this thing because we could also do never ending story with Atreyu. Oh, the yeah. swamp of sorrow. We like we like to do things sinking and and or danger and or sadness. And or smile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're not just going into a scary forest anymore like in a fairy tale. It has to be swampy. Well, oh, and they have the the swamp in Legend as well, yes. where Tom Cruise is attacked by Robert Picardo in a hag mm-hmm. costume. Love it. That bitch scared me too. <laughs> I haven't seen Legend, oh so I'm my taking God. your yeah, word you for it. You need to check out Legend. You two should cover Legend. That's a great it, pick. Well, if you ever want to come back, you you get to choose if you want to do Legend or if you want to do anything else. I mean, but uh, no, we can definitely add legend to It'll the list. It'll just be me talking about how sexy must... the devil looks because it's fucking Tim Curry. My, oh my god. <laughs> okay, I don't know if I already knew that was Tim Curry, but I was literally in my head, I'm like, I bet mm-hmm, he's a Tim Curry type. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> a, that guy's a real Tim Curry type. What, Basically. sexy? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Sarah, welcome back to the pod. Uh, Thank you. you. Know, ho- hopefully everything's okay. Yes, we are at... I've been on a long sabbatical. She just got lost in yeah. the labyrinth for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she managed to see some Sondheim, some, some uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was reminiscing with a friend about how you are not at all prepared for Love Never Dies. It's going to be great. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> All right, so we're But back to the topic at hand. Have you met Sir Didymus yet? We're just about to reach mm-hmm. Sir Didymus. So, so Sarah cute. and Ludo and Hoggle all decide, okay. We got to get out of this bog. Oh, thank God there's a bridge that will lead us to the other side. We can get out no problem. And as they're about to get there, this ad- adorable muppet jumps out from behind a tree decked in musketeer garb brandishing a sword at them and this is sir didymus he's basically like um god what type of dog does he remind me of it's a very distinct dog it's it's like a sharpay mm-hmm. i think yeah but i always thought of him as a to fox. be a fox but he definitely looks like a dog as well Mm-hmm. Totally. He's Sir Didymus. He's unique and one of the. He feels kind. like he's from a completely different movie. He's Don Quixote. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he is Don Quixote. Mm-hmm. He's he's the the Jim Henson to Don Quixote, where he believes himself to be a noble and upstanding knight who's vowed to protect this bridge as long as it stands, and none may pass without his permission. So they have a small fantasy fight between Ludo and Sir Didymus. And at the end of it, Sir Didymus yields and says, Never have I been bested in battle. From now on, you and I are brothers. And Ludo mm-hmm. loves this. Brothers. Oh. So I don't know if you guys have touched on this, yeah. but something that I think really holds up with the Muppets, um, and part of why I think... Henson was so special is 
Sir Didymus is funny, but he has like his own honor and nobility, which it never feels like the story mm-hmm, is mocking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like you... Snuffleupagus or <laughs> Fozzie and <laughs> and um, Mr. Benbow in his finger, you know. Because it's it's earnest, right? It's not mm. cloyingly fake. It's it's like he's he's a noble knight and he has a job to do, and that job is to not let anybody cross without his permission. Mm-hmm. So Sarah asks for his permission to cross, and he goes. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and he decides to join them on her, uh, their quest, so he calls up his mighty steed, Ambrosius, who is a sheepdog. Who I love is, this is Sarah's dog, Merlin, from the beginning, right? Yeah, absolutely. Occasionally played by a puppet version, right. but, you know, needs must. But yeah, it, it's that folding in of the real world into the fantasy world. It's finally like, oh, along the way, I need my stuffed animal and I need, you know, like somebody to who's smarter than me to help me through the labyrinth. Mm-hmm. And now I just want my dog with me. And here's my right. dog. A dog riding a dog. <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh, it's... This this is where we properly find out that uh, Ludo is friends with rocks because as Sarah goes to cross the bridge, the bridge collapses because it's a thousand years old and she almost falls into the bog. Ludo summons some rocks to act as stepping stones for her to get across and she does with fart sounds. Because mm-hmm. it's still a children's movie. <laughs> yeah, why not? But those rocks are now smelly forever. I feel like they knew the masquerade scene was coming up and they're like, we need to get the young boys back to this. Excepting, of course, young Sam. Yeah. Yeah. Because I love the... No, wait. Hold on. We'll we'll talk about that when we get to the masquerade scene. Okay. Okay. So, which is actually Mm -hmm. right now. Sarah grows hungry and Hoggle gives her the Betrayal! Betrayal, dark night of the soul. It's almost like this symbolizes something. Hmm. Hmm. What could it mean? What could it mean? But and maybe virginity. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. Okay. But mostly butts. Well, <laughs> mostly butts. She she bites into the peach and immediately feels the effect of whatever spell is upon it as she lays down and goes and chases the golden dragon for a bit, I guess. <laughs> I do feel so bad where a hoggle, I mean, he's a pathetic character throughout most of this movie. And I do love his arc in terms of coming to realize that a true friend is somebody who sticks with you, who doesn't judge you, who doesn't use you. Like, I think it's such a great message for kids and particularly because he's arguably the ugliest of the Muppets. It, it's easy to Mm -hmm. paint him as a villain and then his redemption feels so much more satisfying. But I find it's really sad when he, he talks about, you know, damn you, Jareth and damn me too. I'm just like, wow. Okay. As an adult, that line hits hard. 
Yeah, right? and he just he has this pathetic sound to his voice, and not pathetic in a and I hate him way, but in a mm-hmm. sad way of of just like oh damn you he's not angry he's upset that he's done this to her Mm -hmm. i I love it it's great voice acting and physical Mm -hmm. acting right two entirely different people working on this one puppet person thing so she's bitten the peach jareth up in his castle does some more contact (laughs) juggling as he... <laughs> it sounds so much less sexy when you say it yeah. like that. Well, how am I supposed to describe it beyond like it's? I mean, it is magic. When when you see contact juggling in this film, it's the most mm-hmm. natural, swishy, uh, mesmerizing kind of thing. And here he's got like four crystal balls all moving in his hands simultaneously. And he just picks one up and he blows on it and it becomes a bubble and floats over to Sarah miles across mm, the lap. This is so Wizard of Oz. Yes. Mm-hmm. Glinda the Good mm-hmm. Witch. And as the bubbles float by her, we see figures dancing in them and we zoom in on one and it's her. It's her in this opulent dress with her hair blown right the fuck out she is adult Mm -hmm. right this is this is the fantasy within the fantasy she wants to go on a quest but within that fantasy she wants to be an adult she wants to be seen as sexy and Mm -hmm. sexual and this is what he's providing her he's saying yes you can be that and you can be that with me. Well, I think it's important too because one of her big complaints about having to babysit her brother at the beginning is that she may have plans and you know the stepmom and her dad sort of make fun of her like no you don't you don't have friends you just have fantasy and here she is she's not just an adult she doesn't just look like a fucking fairy tale princess but it's all eyes on her at this very grown up masquerade party and here's an older gentleman who maybe wants to fuck her. Not just any older gentleman. Yeah. It's it's David <laughs> Bowie. <laughs> her dress is very Princess uh-huh. Diana, but not in the sort of no. pure virginal Princess Diana sort of way. What I liked about my, my new copy of the Blu-ray that I bought to watch this, because there was a new version out for the 30th anniversary. Well, you're practically justified uh, in having to buy was, it, so... Yeah, was that now with the Blu-ray copy, I could see so much more detail. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I noticed about her dress, I always thought that it was just a sort of white and slightly cream, little bit sparkly dress. But with this Blu-ray update, it turns out that the entire dress has a pearlescent sheen Mm -hmm. on it. So as she moves, all these greens and yellows and purples start popping out of it at various points. And it's just like, this is the fantasy on top of the fantasy, on top of the fantasy. Like, I want to get married in this dress. <laughs> it feels like her dress mm-hmm. is the bubble with the with right. the reflections that you see in it. It's gorgeous. It's stunning. I love the costuming of this scene. Now, important question. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I could, I could just drop in right here a visit from Robin, our... Uh, horrible puppet quiz master 
but uh, I'll, I'll just do it myself. Do you know who choreographed this scene, this dance scene? No. I'll say it up right up top. I have no idea. This was choreographed by one Gates McFadden of Star Trek <laughs> The Next Generation oh, fame. okay. I, I recognize the name, but I was like, hmm. This was a year before she was starring in TNG. She is Dr. Right. Crusher from The Next Generation. Does she have a choreography background? Wow. Yes. Okay. She, she started as a choreographer and a dancer, and that's why in uh, Next Generation, as they get into later seasons and start really fleshing out the characters more, one of the traits of her character is they, like, Data finds out from her he that she is a dancer, from and she's like, and she's like, I am swearing you to secrecy. You did not learn this from me because I don't want to be known as the dancing doctor. <laughs> so yeah, Gates McFadden choreographed this film and specifically this scene. And so th this scene is really special to me because I remember as a kid hating what? this scene. Just being like, yuck. Yuck, why do I want to watch this? There's no action and girl cool muppets. Stuff. It's just girls being, <laughs> yeah, it's, well, not so much girl stuff, but it's romance. And I don't care right. about romance. And then as I grew older, I went, oh, no, 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 no. This is my favorite <laughs> Me scene. Me think she doth protest too much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, little closeted gay oh, me. Sure. We hate ourselves God, the most have... of all. Yeah. But, you know, coming around to it and then going like, oh, no, this is this is dope as fuck. This entire scene is gorgeous and opulent. It is the fantasy of a of a teenage girl thinking, what's the most glamorous thing in the world? And it's mm -hmm. this. I love a masquerade ball as well. Like this scene and the dance between Selena and Bruce in Batman Returns for me were like big staples oh. of this is what adult like romance and flirting looks like. You put on a fucking mask, you get dressed up to the tits, and then you go out and bad shit happens. Mm-hmm. There and have been a lot fewer masquerade balls and dinner parties in right my adult life disappointment. than I expected. <laughs> Where are they? <laughs> but on, on, on top of this, we have David Bowie singing another song, which is As the World Falls Down, the one song that got a music video for, right. for this film. Yep. But uh, this this scene also set me up for massive disappointment later on in life in Joel Schumacher's Phantom of the Opera, when they sing Masquerade, <laughs> I remember seeing it and going like, this is supposed to be opulent? Yeah. <laughs> I literally saw Phantom of the Opera last night, and same thing, like, on stage it's basically the exact same thing. On stage it looks great, when it's yeah. basically two-dimensional. The movie oh, does boy. not live up to it. Considering what we know of Joel Schumacher that movie is such a fucking disappointment it feels like he put the camera on a dolly and just swung it back and forth for two hours like yes. there's there's no oh verve or 
pizzazz to that direction. It feels so stilted. It's really disappointing, particularly in that masquerade sequence where you're like, the camera should be swooping around these people and creating kinetic energy. And instead it's like, oh, somebody fell asleep at the wheel here. Yeah. Oh, here's Miranda Richardson. <laughs> Goodbye, Miranda Richardson. <laughs> so wasted. I know. And and Mimi, Ro- uh, not Mimi Rogers, yes. Mini Driver. I don't know why my brain does <laughs> that. But yeah. In just a thankless role. Like she, she kills oh, it sure. in that film, but it's such a dud of a movie. If you want to hear more audience campers, if you want to hear more of our thoughts on Phantom of the Opera, please go back to one of our very first mm. episodes, which I believe is called... Uh, is it my mom getting hit on by Gerard Butler? <laughs> and the answer was yes. <laughs> yes, she was. And she flatly turned him <laughs> down. She turned him down. Uh, but my mom's not great at picking up cues like that, which is probably where I got mine from. Uh, I mean, <laughs> she this this is the woman who was also once serenaded on her balcony by a man uh, who she knew and he had come to her window and was playing a guitar and trying to serenade her and what does she do she opens up the window and tosses a bucket of water on him and says some of us are trying to sleep <laughs> wow that is a 90s rom-com right there <laughs> right well she didn't marry him she married my father instead and whatever that ended the way it did anyway Sarah finally realizes through this ballroom scene that she needs to get out. She has to save Toby. And she smashes the illusion with a chair. Literally. I love watching all of them sort of float up like they're being sucked out of the fantasy. Yeah, everything just starts moving. The tables, the chairs, the people. There's shattered stuff and confetti. Everything's flying all over the place. It's really Jim Henson thinking, if there was a party in a bubble, what would happen if it popped? Oh, chaos Mm -hmm. would happen. It also really maintains that dream logic to me where there's no beginning and no end. It feels like she's just Mm -hmm. in the next location. Yeah, and she falls into a garbage dump. Gently falls into a garbage dump where she's stunned and can't quite remember why she's there. So a horrible old trash lady (laughs) (laughs) takes her to a facsimile of her room. Like it's beat for beat. It's got all Mm -hmm. of her stuff in it. And she thinks, Oh, I've just woken up from a dream. Everything's fine. Everything's great. She goes to her bedroom door to see mom and dad and horrible trash lady enters in with her. This lady makes me so stressed. She's just all up in her business. Well, the trash lady sits her down and she's just like, oh yeah, here's, here's all your stuff. Don't you love your stuff? And starts piling the stuff on top of her. And what I've always assumed is she's trying to turn her into a trash lady Mm -hmm. as well. By piling everything on top of it and saying, oh, no, 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 you love this. You could never throw this away. 
and you look at the trash lady and there's distinct things piled up mm-hmm. on her back and you got to think did this mm-hmm. happen to you did you put so much attachment in your crap that you never let it go yeah i've always looked at this as you know this is its own distinct world just like the bog was just like uh you know all of these Mm -hmm. other places that we visited in the film and i've always imagined that like there are just other people who are trapped in their own facsimile lives like buried under trash this is basically just hoarder's world right yeah yeah i mean mm-hmm. when you when they're outside in the in the garbage dump you can see other trash people walking around with their own piles of stuff in mm-hmm. the background and they're all weighed down by their stuff and they're all shriveled and shrunken and slow and meandering and it's this really like you know hey maybe the material stuff that mm-hmm. you have isn't worth anything it's it's the emotions and the people that are important it's not the actual physical shit we're learning something from this film (laughs) (laughs) and it's interesting because there's so much crossover between uh the characters that she meets and the um the stuff in her room So finally, she she manages to figure out what she's doing by reading a copy of The Labyrinth Mm -hmm. again. She realizes, oh, fuck, I got to save Toby. And immediately the illusion crumbles around her as her bedroom is torn to shreds from within. This always freaked me out as a kid. The idea that, like, the walls of your reality could just become, you know, uh basically it would be revealed to be fake like this is the end of the fantasy right she needs to come back to the real world even though she's still Mm -hmm. technically in this quest narrative yeah it's it's childhood's end it's putting away the things that she had as as a younger Mm -hmm. girl and now she's becoming a woman but the part that's so scary to me is it never feels like she has a handle on what the real reality mm-hmm. is. Yeah, I mean, even now, like, she has a good sense of what she needs to do to accomplish the quest, but, like, she doesn't have control in this world, right? Like, she's always kind of winging it, and, I mean, I guess that's an apt metaphor for what puberty is you constantly think that you figured it out and then something new mm-hmm. happens and you're like, oh, I didn't know. I was not prepared <laughs> for this. <laughs> I mean, I I didn't feel like I figured things out until a few years ago and I'm still figuring things out. I still remember my most horrifying memory was, it wasn't even adolescence. It was like, I think after I finished my undergraduate degree, I was just casually having one of those like really vital chats with my mom where you're like, tell me about life, you know, tell me, tell me something that's going to, you know, help me to grow as a person. And I remember I asked her, I was like, so when did you figure out what, what you were doing in life? Like, when did it start to feel like it wasn't just on an out of control ride and like, you got a handle on things. And she was like, I still don't feel that way. Like, I've never figured it out. You never get comfortable. And I was like, well, that's properly horrifying. Thank you so much. Oh, no. (laughs) 
uh, I would have been like 24, oh, 25. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I had a, a moment similar to that, uh, like, I don't know, two years ago, where I got my first car and I was like, this is great. I don't need to stress about transit or anything anymore. And then I had like some, I think I was trying to like find a parking spot or something. And I was like, oh, the stress mm -hmm. never goes away. It just exactly. finds a different outlet. Yeah. And you got to pay for it when it breaks down and fill it up with gas and oh no, a flat like, tire. This isn't easier. Oh, what is that sound it's making it's now? Different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we just, we just learn how to cope with it better and channel our energies better. Right. The shit doesn't That's stop. That's the hope, right? I, I, I feel... supposed to be getting better at this. Like, I feel in the last year, I've, I've made tremendous... Thank God for mm -hmm. therapy. But <laughs> I've made tremendous personal strides where I'm like, okay, all right, shit still falls apart, but I don't need to fall apart with right. it now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I feel good. That's my little self-brag. Happy birthday, Sam. <laughs> Can't wait for a new year of new things falling to shit and you figuring out, okay, am I okay? Oh, <laughs> oh I'm already there where I got a text from my landlady at the beginning of the month saying, so you're getting evicted. You got 60 days. Get Jesus. the fuck out. It's like, oh, fuck. Anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. Sarah finally meets up with her band of friends once more. They're all there, and they make it to the gates of the Goblin mm. City. But first, they have to beat up the right. door. So This door is incredible. I don't know how they did... Again, like, this is the Jim Henson magic. I don't know how they made a door that we see two doors closing together and then a whole mech suit comes mm. out of it. <laughs> yes, it it's is, a Gundam. Yeah. It, it, it is a Gundam. Uh, and I, just Jim Henson, whatever he was on, it was incredible because it made that. So they have a little fight with the door guardian. Hoggle shows up, you know, knocks the pilot out. He causes it to explode. And they all forgive Hoggle, and it's just like, you know what? Yeah, he's finally found his courage. They're going to go kick Jareth's ass and get that baby back. God damn it. And then we have a giant fight scene in the city with who knows how many goblins. It's, it's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. It's over the top. I mean, this is... I guess the physical climax of the movie, right? Like we're going for spectacle. We're giving the boys quote unquote, what they want before we get to the truly emotional one-on-one -on -one battle between her and Jared. Yeah. Yeah. It, and, but the puppeteering in this scene, like there's rocks, Ludo calls the rocks and they're moving mm -hmm. all around the place. And I'm still looking at it going, how are some of those moving? I can understand like a couple right? of them have like mechanisms in them that are turning them over and just moving them forward. But there's some things happening in this scene where I'm just like, I cannot for the life of me figure out how you did this. Mm 
Even the attention to detail, like at one point they shoot something out of a cannon. You think it's a cannonball. It embeds itself in a wall and there's like a little creature living inside it who asks, you know, did I hit something? Did I hit something? And you're like, you didn't need to do that. It could have been an inanimate object, but they're constantly looking for ways to make this action more interesting and engaging and lively and just funny, right? And you're like, Jim Henson, you didn't have to go so hard. And there's chickens in this scene too, like live action chickens. But yeah, or what, but... I love that chickens are the thing that right. crosses over. <laughs> but uh, one of one of the things that really stumps me is there's that small platoon of goblins on the backs of like weird bipedal goblin dragon snake things. Don't quite understand what they are, but you know from having seen like. Uh, costumes that look like oh it's a guy on the back of a dinosaur and oh my legs are actually just inflatable legs and you Mm -hmm. get that it's like okay i understand how this puppet was done until one of them gets knocked over and falls off of his weird kangaroo lizard thing and you go what how are they two separate things brain blown whatever Have you guys ever heard um the phrase hitting the lamp no. in animation no no so this comes from roger rabbit there's a scene where they're in the bar and bob hoskins and roger rabbit are fighting and one of them hits the lamp that's um above mm-hmm, them and it swings mm-hmm. back and forth right what this means is that all of the animators animating Roger then had to perfectly recreate where those yep. shadows would fall on him. I never noticed it anytime I watched it. That's the whole point. You're not supposed to notice it. They made it harder for themselves for no reason, but it looks amazing. And I feel like that's what they were doing yeah. with these puppets. That's a, that's a nice new turn of phrase you've introduced to me. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun to look for. That's that's great. So they they manage to fend off the goblin army for a bit, and the rocks are taking care of the rest of it. So they make their way to the castle, and Sarah stops at the gate and tells her friends, "This is it. I have to I have to part paths with you, because I have to do this by myself." True hero. It's it's really like the final culmination of all the lessons she's learned along the way of it's great to have friends and it's it's good to take care of people and care and, you know, be a better person. But sometimes the problem that you made, you have to fix it mm-hmm. by yourself. And so she does. I she- feel like this scene is... Sorry, I feel like this scene is stronger, too, because of Hoggle's betrayal. Um, in something like Wizard of Oz, you don't get that betrayal, and it feels like the friendship isn't as valid. And it's a good message for kids, too, Absolutely. of forgiveness. It's it's beautiful. She, she makes her way through the castle, through the throne room, following uh, Bowie. And winds up in an M.C. Escher painting. This is literally where my obsession with M.C. Escher begins. And then 
it follows up about two years later when we get to Hellraiser 2 and the Leviathan is also yeah. MC Asher. Fucking love it. Yeah. Oh, I, I love Hellraiser. I, I really enjoy mm-hmm. Hellraiser 2. Hellraiser is top okay. of the list for me. But watch watching Hellraiser 2, you're always just like, I am always so enthralled by this mm-hmm. movie. The, the stuff they pulled out. And the same thing goes for this scene. Like, they built a, an enormous set with various openings and staircases going every which way. And they figured out ways for bowie alone to defy gravity by walking that moment where he just flips over the end of the stairwell to confront her again it's it's one of those like wait how did they do this because they don't have the technology that we have now which is we would just hand wave it away but back then they would have had to do it differently and it looks fucking amazing I love that about practical effects. You always know how they did it now. But in the old days, there wasn't one mm-hmm. answer. I mean, my my go-to for the the practical effect that blows my mind is in one of the Muppet movies, you see Kermit and Miss Piggy riding bikes. <laughs> this is witchcraft. Absolutely. There's Muppets are real things. They they are not puppets. That is a lie brought to us by the Jim Henson Corporation. They are real things that know how to ride bikes. Mm. And damn it, David Bowie figured out how to do anti-gravity just right. for this film. Incredible. And this is where we get the big final number, which is Within You, uh, a really melancholy song all about, yeah, our, our love can burn with the white hot intensity of a thousand suns but i can't live off of the white hot intensity of a thousand suns i have to be more than our love you know ooh, reflective of the themes of the film right she needs to be more than just the fantasy that she's mm-hmm. been living in another surprisingly adult theme in this movie and, and not adult in the mm-hmm. ooh sexy way. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it's it's Bowie. Le- in the less in the fun adult way. <laughs> adult way. Okay, all right, all right. Yes. Uh, so while she's chasing him around, she's also seeing Toby on various platforms and things, who is also defying gravity. But in a room like this, you know, what is gravity? It, doesn't have to make sense, right? The rules of the universe don't have to mm-hmm. adhere to it. And so she decides finally to take a leap of faith and jump right into the middle. And she descends slowly. And as she goes, the the world breaks apart around her until she's just on a platform with an archway and various pieces of stairs floating in the mm-hmm. background. And as she looks at the archway, which is shrouded in darkness, David Bowie 
enters in an incredible mm-hmm. outfit that's just it's menacing and ethereal but of course he's entered two seconds before his penis entered the room as well <laughs> i mean because that thing comes out of the shadows I was first gonna say it's almost like uh bob the drag queen with the you know walk into the room purse first this is like walk into the room cod piece first yes <laughs> He knows how to make an entrance. And this is where we get the the battle of wills. Right? He says, I've done everything for you. She says, really? He says, I've been nothing but generous. Generous, how so? You asked that the child be taken. I took him. You cowered before me. I was frightening. I've re-altered time, I've turned the world upside down, and I have done it all for you. And I'm exhausted from living up to your expectations. Isn't that generous? God, he's so good. It's such a great line delivery, but also when you pull back, and it's like an older man who is speaking to a younger woman that he has been courting slash grooming, Mm -hmm. you're just like, ooh, this is gaslighting 101. He's making her feel bad for having agency to go after the things that she wants. And I know that's a very 2022 reading, but you're just like, ooh, he's doing a big dick move and not like codpiece dick. No, that's that's absolutely, yeah, absolutely. That's absolutely the message of the film because he follows it up with just fear me, love me, do as I say, and I will it's be like, your what? slave. <laughs> do which as is... I say, and I'll be your slave? <laughs> like, sir. Oh, but at the same time, could you imagine Michael Jackson Ooh. delivering this final monologue yeah. from him? To be honest, no. I can't imagine no. the emotion. No. Right? It, it's it's astonishing that David Bowie was not mm-hmm. an actor. He's really good in every performance you see him in. And yet he yes. was consistently yeah. this good. Yeah. It, it, it's incredible. I love this. And finally, she starts to say the monologue she had been memorizing at the beginning of the film. And he's trying to stop her. Until she finally says... You have no power over me. So good. And that's the flip side of everybody's faking it and pretending that they're not. You also have to realize that you're only letting other people have power Mm -hmm. over you as well. You can leave any situation when you want when you're an adult. You just have to deal with it. And just as she says it, and as he realizes she has said it, the clock strikes 13, and the fantasy world crumbles around her. And David Bowie turns into an owl and flies away. (laughs) You know, as they do. (laughs) Have you ever watched Venture Brothers? Mm, Like one or two episodes. So... There's an evil organization in it headed by uh, some mysterious leader that you find out in like the second or third season finale is David Bowie. And and, and, tracks. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's this huge fight between the good guys and the bad guys. And at one point, 
David Bowie saves some of the good guys because he's like, I'm I'm evil, but I need you to keep on living because there's worse people than me out there. And then he turns into a bird and flies off. Nice. And and the character who's one of the kids, who's uh, Hank, turns to his dad later and says, Dad, 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 I was rescued by David, Bo- uh, the guy from Labyrinth, and then he turned into a bird and flew away. <laughs> it's so good (laughs) anyway he flies out of the room and Sarah's back in her house and everything's normal and Toby's in bed and her parents are so cute cute. yeah yeah I mean the, the again the creator of all the creatures it's his son so on loan temporarily I guess (laughs) <laughs> he has a little tag around his toe return to <laughs> if lost please find the guy who dries, draws goblins <laughs> she uh, goes back to her room and she starts putting away her toys and stuff and you know kind of tidying up and her parents come home and as she looks in the mirror uh her friends from her adventure begin appearing behind her saying if you ever need us just ask and she says yeah every once in a while I do need you guys and she turns around poof her entire bedroom is filled to the ceiling with Mm -hmm. Muppets and they have a great big party and everyone's celebrating there's even bad Muppets there and they, they get to have fun too and David Bowie is an owl, watches her from the window, and flies off into the night. Underground plays. That's credits, baby. I love that the message of the movie isn't that you need to grow up and put away your childish things. It's that you grow up and you just have to be more selective about when you're still going to indulge in the more childish kind of flights of fancy. Like, there's still a time and a place for them just as there is a time to be more adult. Like, I think that's such a valuable message for kids. I also think it's so beautiful that, Sam, the message of this film is exactly what it's done for you. You are dancing with the Muppets (laughs) in your room. Hey, 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 I thought you wouldn't tell anyone about that. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's... I I just I love this. I I'm a big sucker for coming of age heroes quest narratives specifically centered around girls more so cuz well, guess who identifies with them more? Uh like Spirited Away and this and Alice in Wonderland and The Wizard of Oz. There's something that brings me tremendous joy when I see those films and those narratives because it is uh listen we all have to grow up we have to make hard decisions we have to we can't just live on you know our our hedonistic childish natures but we can't get rid of it altogether either we have to let those out every once in a while and enjoy ourselves and have flights of fancy Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so anyway uh, last thing before we get to the question is uh, that colloquium I was talking about earlier 
where I said, hey, the movie's really trying to point that uh, Sarah's the only girl that Bowie can fuck. It's absolutely true. Uh, there are only th- three other female characters in this film. The stepmother, the junk lady, and Mrs. Worm. Stepmother's already taken. She's a wicked old stepmother. Junk lady is absolutely useless and has no interest in sex. And the worm lady has a nice partner, but you never see her. (laughs) So really, the only person in all the labyrinth that David Bowie can even have some kind of relationship is with Sarah. And that was my argument in front of who knows how many people telling them (laughs) it's totally cool. It's fine, guys. That's so heteronormative of you, though, too. It was back in my hetero <laughs> days when I kept on saying, oh, yeah, no, I, I'm only looking at those boys because I guess they're good guys and I want to be friends with them. I'm just saying that. that <laughs> life goals, life goals. That, that Dom some. I'm just saying that Dom uh, sub relationship between him and Hoggle is right there, Sam. Oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, if you take out Mrs. Worm and you just count the women on screen, you have Maiden Mother Crone uh, as well. Ooh, the triumvirate. Look at that. Ooh, us getting our witchy roots. But anyway, uh, <laughs> since you are the guest, yes. Joe, okay. question for you. Is, is Labyrinth camp? So I'm going to say No. It is not. Um, I think that the film is actually too earnest to be camp. And there is comedy in here, but it's not the kind of subversive, undercutting, politically astute or bad taste comedy that I would typically associate with camp. I think that this is just a really great fantasy coming of age film, quote unquote, for girls. Sarah, is it camp? I'm going to have to agree with Joe and even almost in the exact same terms. My thinking was this movie's <laughs> too good to be camp. It's <laughs> we've pointed out all the ways its metaphors are not mm-hmm. particularly deep, um but it also just works as a fun sort of Wizard of Oz story about this mm-hmm. girl's hero journey. Uh there are certainly plenty of other times that the Muppets are camp, but this is clearly, even though they are Muppets in the movie, this is not really a Muppet movie. Um, and I think that there's a clear distinction between the kind of stories that they want to tell with the Muppets and what they're doing here, which they succeed at. Sam, how about you, birthday boy? Yeah, there are camp things in it. I mean, the fact that it's got musical numbers, the fact that it's got Muppets, but they're all sort of skirting the edge of camp. And I mean, David Bowie's penis. It's probably being the campiest part, in this isn't movie it? So much. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just so earnest. It's done so well, and. I don't know. Maybe I'm also way too close to it because it is my favorite movie that saying this is camp, like it just doesn't work. It's just good. So yeah, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) 
Joe, is there anything you'd like to plug? uh, Yeah. So if people want to get a hold of me, you can reach me at B Stole My Remote, and that's the letter B. And as I mentioned off the top, I have a couple of podcasts, so you can get a new episode of Horror Queers every Wednesday and a new episode of Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star every Tuesday. And if you're a subscriber to the Horror Queers Patreon, you also get more episodes as well. Because believe me, I am an all-tier subscriber. I have the bangs. I have the haircuts. I have all, all of, of those game. things. <laughs> oh, God. I, you, you were the first podcast that was like, I'm giving money to you because I need to hear more of this. So much content. So, yeah. <laughs> it, so much content. And it's worth it. <laughs> Um, I don't really know where to put this in, but I realized during our conversation, <laughs> I have actually seen oh, the costumes really? from this film in real life, oh, wow. um, the masquerade ones. <gasps> yes, I went to a couple, oh God, I mean, it was the pandemic, so, I don't know, probably five years ago, uh, the Museum of the Moving Image had an exhibit on Jim Henson, and I saw them, and um, your eye is drawn in real life, just as on film. So they really knew what they were doing. Oh. So we got to have a heist then. This is this is our heist movie that we're going <laughs> to break in and steal those costumes. It's a great museum exhibit to uh, stand in front of Big Bird Aww. and cry. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Uh, it's funny because you'll see like drawings that he did from his very youth up 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 and then suddenly you go oh holy shit that, that's a Muppet's wow. face right there so thank you for joining us today on our exploration of Labyrinth please subscribe on your podcaster of choice leave a star rating and review where you can because it always helps us to find new people who may not know what their camp favorite is Yes, and next week we will be discussing... Well, we're kind of going back to the uh, co-produced by China well, and we are watching The oh, Meg. Yes. okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's so I love dumb. this movie. It's so fun. It's, <laughs> it's so fun. At some point in this movie I realized... Uh, that first I find people mm-hmm. falling over into water very funny, which is great because then there were another half dozen more. Yes. That movie of loves that. to knock people into the water. I have never seen it. I I think I saw one trailer for it, and I was just like, eh, I don't know about this. Like giant shark movie isn't the asylum pumping twenty of those out every year now, but. Uh, looking forward to this because well, fuck it why not right giant shark movie mm-hmm. let's do it try to spot the parts that they film to get access to china that's half the fun yes mm-hmm. oh really okay well we'll have to keep that in mind when we watch it and when you our audience our campers can continue the discussion of labyrinth or the meg coming up soon on our twitter and our instagram i am at reese indigo all one word spelt r-h-y-s the welsh way and I am at Sour Citrus Lady. You can follow the pod on at Is It Camp Pod. Until next week, 
wait an hour before swimming, <laughs> watch out for snakes, and stay camp. Bye! Nothing, 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 tra-la-la!